Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch rushing! Deep left field! This is Wilbur! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Hey there. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank, Scott, and Chris all here on Monday, February 26th. Today on the show, we're going to take a closer look at the Util-only players, Otani, Ozuna, and others. Spring training standouts from the first weekend of baseball and recap our position previews. A quick strategy note and our favorite to draft at each position. Lots to get to. Let's jump right in with the players who are Util-only specifically on CBS. Might look a little bit different on ESPN or Yahoo, but just so you know, on CBS, you need 20 games played at a position the previous year to have eligibility uh, at said position. And Scott, sometimes with these util-only players, you can get them at a discount because people just don't want to clog their UT spot or they just want more versatility for later on in the draft. But there are some really legit hitters. One that I know you like to target quite a bit, Marcelo Zuna, but... Even like mm-hmm. Eloy Jimenez or uh, or uh, J.D. Martinez. I mean, those guys are going at great values, what it seems like right now. Um, maybe partially because they're UT only. And Byron Buxton's another who yep. who doesn't figure to be UTL only for long because he's going to be back in center field now that he is purportedly back to full health. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously Otani's not any sort of discount. I guess you could argue maybe he would go more like within the top five picks, if not for his utility-only eligibility. Uh, But the others, yeah, they are going, I think, ridiculously low given our expectations for them. Now, to be fair, there are some other factors at work here. Marcelo Zunas had a very up-and-down career. I still think given that he hit had 40 homers and 100 RBI and the, arguably the best lineup in baseball last year. Uh, he deserves to go within the first 10 rounds, I would think. But but you could understand why people might be hesitant to buy into him. Uh, Byron Buxton, of course, with the injury history. Eloy Jimenez, same thing. J.D. Martinez still doesn't have a team. So his, his value is going to keep dropping until you think he does. I don't know why the Padres haven't signed him yet. Specifically, I, I don't know. I haven't heard J.D. Martinez linked to any team specifically, but that one. Seems there like- was a report the other day that he had offers from multiple teams. I don't know. Did you guys see that? Yeah, the Giants offered him a deal, but apparently he didn't, I guess, like the deal or didn't like the money amount. And so they went with Solaire instead. So, yeah, well, anyway, the point is. It's not, I, I don't think it's just the fact that these guys are DH only that's um, causing them to be such discounts, but they are such discounts that I find I am very hesitant to fill my utility spot with like an extra first baseman or something before we get to the point in the draft where they tend to go. 
Uh, I know we did one mock where I took Freddie Freeman in round one and Matt Olson in round two, no quarter infield spot, but that was a league with two utility spots. Mm -hmm. And I think I did end up getting one of those DH only guys later. So it's, 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 I want to give myself an option of, of one just because I like the discount so much. But it is, I think it is worth saying that, especially for the guys, Shohei Otani in particular, who just, he's just going to be a utility player. There's no world in which he gains eligibility in another position. Obviously, when it's Shohei Otani, you can live with the limitation, but it's a limitation. You know, like that, that it's like, with Byron Buxton, we health permitting, if he can make it through five games without getting hurt, we expect him to gain outfield eligibility. He is right. going to play the outfield this season. That is something that is very different from last year. But that is so, the only one of these guys that we're talking yeah, about. Probably, that you yeah, probably. That feel like, look, Eloy Jimenez has a better chance of gaining outfield than mm-hmm. Otani does because Otani's chance is zero, basically, right? Um, Marcelo Zun has actually been working at first base this spring. He started the Braves' first game at first base. So maybe he gets that eligibility at some point, though. You but you, you wouldn't really expect that to happen right. anytime soon. You want to think so. And then uh, and then who's the other one? J.D. Martinez. Yeah, his outfield days are probably done. But, so. it's a, but it's a legitimate limitation that makes it more difficult when you're building your roster because it's not even like, Okay, you draft Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson in the second and, and third or first and second rounds or whatever. Like you can live with that. But let's say you do that and then you, I don't know, you've got a good shortstop, but then Trevor Story falls and, and it just falls and falls and falls. And let's say you like him as much as Frank and I do. All of a sudden you look at it and it's just like you kind of just can't take him. Right. Like that, that's, you know, that's the, the limitation when you're talking about these utility only players where if you have, you know, Marcelo Zin already locked in there, it really does limit what you can do with that spot. Because if you have someone break out at a position where you already have a good player, mm-hmm. you just don't have a spot for them in a way that's not necessarily well, as true when you have more flexibility. I get what you're saying. And I think it's a fine point. But obviously there's a bench too. And I think the difference between Marcelo Zuna and Trevor Story, ideally, I don't know. You, you guys might be a little more confident in Story than I am. I, of course, acknowledge the upside. But I'd rather see how it goes for him from my bench sure. than rely on him as my utility. No, player. no, that's what I mean. Like when, when the C, it's, it's not really an issue when you're drafting. It becomes an issue. Yeah. In like that that's one of those things that when I'm drafting, I always forget that when I'm actually playing, having multi-eligible guys is really nice because yeah. things are gonna happen. Like that's that's the one thing is just from a strictly from a team building perspective, it can be very hard to it's a lot easier to say you're going to live with a util only player than it can sometimes be when you're actually playing your league out, I guess is the way to put mm-hmm. it. And I can confirm this. I'm in a 15-team Roto slow draft right now, and I had pick 15, and I started my draft with Otani and Bryce Harper. And it just always kind of feels throughout the draft like you are missing something. Like you are yeah. chasing positions that you don't have, especially in a, a league that deep. But 
we all know what the upside with Otani is. Well, so that, that's right. the, that's, that's why it's not a problem. If if Marcelo Zuna has the same season he had last year, it's not a problem. Like that that it's it's a problem you'd love to have. Oh no, I have too many good players. It's just mm-hmm. a question of if Ozuna goes for 29 homers and 90 mm-hmm. RBI and hits 260, then it's like, well, he's probably still yeah. worth where he's being drafted. Oh, he's yeah, Ohtani, I think he's still a good pick, but it's Otani's the one that's hardest for me because of you've closed off an, an you're so many avenues right away. Right off the bat. Yeah. And and look, I mean, Otani batting second or third in that lineup figures to be a statistical monster. I mean, we still have some lingering concerns that the elbow would, will impact his swing, but uh, my concerns are diminishing on that front, I would say. And the run in RBI production, the potential for 40 homers, 20 steals. I mean, you can feel pretty confident that you're going to be, you're going to love that production, but you're going to love the production of the players that go around yeah. him too. So I, my, my own personal approach with him is I only want to take him if he's obviously the guy who needs to be taken. And then I can feel great about what happens at mm-hmm. that. Like, okay, I've blocked DH, but I had to take Otani there. There yeah. was really no choice. If I have a choice, I tend to lean the other way. And I, I've talked about how I consider there to be 16 first-round caliber hitters, Otani obviously among them. I would have made it so Otani's not the last one anymore. I've actually moved Jordan Alvarez behind him just because I've gotten a little more concerned about the uh, concerned about the time he tends to miss with all his issues. And I think if push came to shove, I would take Otani over Alvarez, but I'd still probably hesitate in the moment, particularly in a five outfielder league, particularly in a deep five outfielder league, mm-hmm. knowing that Alvarez can fill an outfield spot. I hear you with that, but man, at the turn 15, 16, where I got him, I mean, that kind of felt like the right spot to get Otani. It just, it sucks because if he had outfield eligibility, he probably would be a top five pick in fantasy and we wouldn't really think mm-hmm. twice about it. Uh, let's quickly just run through each of these util only players and give a quick thought on them. Otani's ADP is 11.3. He's a 12th player off the board, according to Fantasy Pros. Of course, this offseason signed a 10-year, $700 million contract with the Dodgers with $680 million of that being deferred, of course. He had elbow surgery back in September. He won't pitch at all in 2020. Four, uh, news just came out that he will make his Dodgers spring training debut on Tuesday, February 27th. He's the reigning AL MVP, coming off career highs in batting average, OPS, 44 homers, 20 steals. He was the seventh overall player in Roto in just 135 games. Chris, I kind of like the fact that he's not pitching this year either. I I know that there's risk coming back from elbow surgery, obviously. But that risk is kind of doubled in years where Mm -hmm. he is a pitcher because... Every time he goes on the mound, obviously there's a little bit more risk for him to get hurt. He's not pitching this year. I kind of like that fact. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. The only thing I would say is we have seen him. It's a different surgery. He had full Tommy John surgery in 2018, coming off the 2018 season, playing through that in 2019. This year, it's uh, they haven't specifically said what it was, but it sounds like it was the internal brace procedure that Trevor story had or a, a variant of that. And so we don't know exactly what to make of that as far as how that's going to impact him. And the fact that Otani is a left-handed swinger who's having surgery on him or had surgery on his right elbow, what the impact of that is, is unclear. But the one thing to note is in 2019, it was Otani's worst 
full season. He was worse in 2020, but 2019 was his worst full season. And it was very similar to Bryce Harper last year, where the issue wasn't that he couldn't hit the ball hard still. He was hitting the ball very hard, 92.8 mile per hour average exit velocity, 47% hard hit rate. Very, very good metrics. He was just hitting the ball on the ground too much. And I do worry or worry or wonder, I guess, because I don't know if being a right-handed thrower who swings lefty, which is the same situation Bryce Harper was in, mm-hmm. if maybe that, you know, coming back from that elbow surgery, maybe that leaves you more susceptible to struggling as a hitter while coming back from that in a way that I don't, but then I'm talking myself through it and Trevor Story's a righty who hits righty and he really struggled last year. So I don't, well, yeah, he struggled in a different way though, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's just kind of hit the ball, period. Yeah. Trevor Story, I'm talking about. No, it's it's interesting that you bring up the the fact Otani bats with the opposite hand than he throws because this is something going through all the spring articles from all the beat writers across the league. This is something I, I see coming up, and it's it in a way I've never even thought about it before, but it, it it keeps coming up. This idea that when a hitter hits from the opposite side than than what he throws from, he has to he has to put more work into strengthening his hands. I, I know it's come up with, with Brett Beatty. That was something mm-hmm. the Mets worked on with him, a guy who struggled with ground ball rate last year. Uh, I, I saw it come up with Michael Bush as well, who had trouble catching up to fastballs in the majors. And, and both of them, there's been an emphasis on working on strengthening their left hand, which is not their throwing hand. And I've you know, I've been covering baseball for almost two decades now, and I've never heard any talk of this. And suddenly, it's everywhere. And now you're bringing it up for Otani. I mean, and 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 linking it to Harper, there there may be something to that. Yeah, I I genuinely don't know. It's just something that I that I've thought about that, you know, because that's their dominant hand. It, you know, it might. I, I, yeah, I don't. We're we're strictly in the realm of the theoretical here. I'm sure someone who knows swing mechanics really well could probably explain this to us. And maybe we should have someone on to talk about that kind of thing. Segment idea, Frank, but (laughs) that was just the one thing that I was thinking of in comparing him to Harper. But obviously there are, there aren't that many examples of position players having Tommy John surgery. And, And so we're, we're dealing with small sample sizes all around. So just because Bryce Harper struggled doesn't necessarily mean Otani will, but we do have that 2019 season as Otani's worst. Now, that being said, it was still 18 home runs and 12 steals in 106 games, hit 286. He's really good. I, I think it's extremely unlikely if Shohei Otani struggles. And whatever struggles there might be, that lineup's going to help overcome a lot of it. But yeah, I think the fact that he's util only and coming back from this surgery, it just... I think it's okay to downgrade him a little bit based on the the surface level numbers. All right, before we get into Marcel Ozuna, quick reminder to sign up for the FBT newsletter, cbssports.com slash newsletters. If you're watching us on YouTube, scan the QR code. That'll take you right to the website. Click on the FBT logo, punch in your email address. It's easy as that. And of course, it's free. If you're watching us live on YouTube, make sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel. And if you aren't watching live, what are you waiting for? YouTube.com slash fantasy baseball today. March is rapidly approaching. 
Very busy month. We've got live mock drafts starting this week, rankings updates, spring training talk, all that fun stuff. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube. Let's talk about Marcelo Zuna. The ADP is 143.4. That is the 12th round of a 12-team league. Last year hit 274 with 40 homers, 100 RBI, and a 905 OPS. And that was after an awful April. If you look from May 1st on, he hit 297 with 38 of those 40 home runs. So uh, awesome year for him. The prior two years were very bad. Scott, your thoughts here on uh, Marcelo Zuna, the ADP in the 140s. Yeah, I think I, I, I think there's basically no risk when you can take him that late. Like, what's, what's the downside risk? The um, It's pretty much at a point where there aren't many hitters that I, I can feel confident have high-end potential anymore. I'm, I'm seeing now, according to Fantasy Pros ADP, which is you know the merging of, of ADP data from five different sites. So it, it, Ozuna is going ahead of Vinny Pasquantino, who I like the high-end upside of. Christian Encarnacion Strand, yes, he has high-end upside, but playing time concerns and you know, limited major league experience. So we can't feel totally confident in what he's going to give us anyway. Uh, Jackson Chori, Okay. But then you get into like TJ Friedel, Alec Bohm, Jorge Soler, Brandon Nimmo, Isak Paredes. And I, I just think the potential upside of Azuna, which of course we saw last year and we've seen it a couple times in, in, in his career previously is, is so much greater than that, especially in the Braves lineup. And he tends to go even later in NFBC drafts. If, if you think 142 is late, it's more like 153 in uh, NFBC drafts. So we're talking round in a 12-team league, round 12, round 13. Again, for a guy who had 40 homers and 100 RBI last year, I'm happy to take him then because like he's and he, he unless it's a case where Pasquantino's there, you know how much I like Pasquantino. But other than that, I feel like. Ozuna is clearly the best hitter left at that point. There, there are, if you, in looking at NFBC ADP, I think there are other high upside. Like Francisco Alvarez goes right behind him in NFB. Obviously, I think it's a catcher Marcelo Ozuna will probably be better. But if Francisco Alvarez lives up to his potential as a catcher, you're talking yeah. thirty plus home runs. Like that. That's I, I think you can I make may be biased against catchers, but um, sure. Jorge Soler is right there. I think similar upside, but Ozuna might be a more complete hitter. Um, mm. Certainly, Soler very bad park. Even though he's the type of hitter we think shouldn't that and shouldn't matter for. There's both performance and health risk yeah. for Soler. I would um, say. And then Jaron Duran, who I'm I'm starting to talk myself into because of the talk that he's going to hit lead off for the Red Sox and just the the potential for counting stats there. Um, but no, I, I mostly agree with that. The the problem is, man. Marcelo Zuna, we talk about like Aaron Nola's every other year thing. Marcelo Zuna is like once every three years, he's really, really good. Like once every three years, Marcelo Zuna is one of the best hitters in baseball. And then like in between, you remember 2017, he had 37 homers, 124 RBI. And then he was like decent in his two years with the Cardinals. Then he was maybe the best non-Juan Soto slash Freddie Freeman hitter in baseball in 2020. He was the number one outfielder in fantasy 2020. And then 2021 and 2022, just complete disasters. Uh-huh. The one thing I would say is his swing has a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. in a way that I think 
lends itself to inconsistency. And he has, he has spray angle issues. He can he can get a slice in his swing that causes him to hit it to right center well, where he can't quite get it. And out. that's the other thing. He is yeah. one of the historically one of the bigger underperformers in the mm-hmm. Statcast era in terms of his expected Woba versus his actual Woba. 363 expected Woba for his career, uh, or at least in the Statcast era, 343 actual Woba. So he is someone who, whether it's his swing or whether it's his inconsistency, he leaves something on the table pretty consistently. Now, last year, that didn't matter. He underperformed, but he was still incredible. But like when, if the, if the baseline level's a little lower, what we've seen is things can go really, really wrong for Marcelo Zuna. But I think that risk is baked in, I guess is ultimately yes. my point. Like he's not going nearly as high as he was coming off that 2020 season where he was the number one outfielder in fantasy. Like, as I was saying at the top of the show, like I, there are other reasons these guys are sliding mm-hmm. other than being DH only. And, and, and that's it for Ozuna is okay. Maybe he burns you like he did in 2021, 2022 and round 12, round 13 doesn't seem worth stressing about to me. Yeah. That's that's likely to happen no matter who you take there. And according to the Rasball Player Raider, Marcelo Zuna finished as the 32nd overall player in 12-team Roto Leagues last year, a $23 value. He averaged 3.3 fantasy points per game and head-to-head points. So again, like you're getting him way later than what his upside actually could be uh, again here in 2024. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll get into Eloy Jimenez, J.D. Martinez, and the rest of the Util only bats right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer. Two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. Welcome back in Fantasy Baseball Today, breaking down the top util-only bats in fantasy. And we'll move on to Eloy Jimenez. The ADP is 186.6. 16th round of a 12-team league has yet to play more than 122 games in a major league season. Last year went on the IL with a strained left hamstring and an appendectomy, which obviously is just unfortunate. There's nothing we can do about that. Um, Entering his age 27 season, if you look at his per 150 game numbers, just based on his career, 30 homers, 94 RBI. Chris, this is just the age old, okay, if Eloy could stay on the field, he's probably going to be a pretty damn good hitter. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the the nice thing is he can't require an appendectomy again. So right there, that's three weeks on the IL that you, you can just assume he'll be out there for. No, Eloy is, I, I think there's still a lot to like in terms of the skill set. He hits the ball really hard. He doesn't strike out very much. He's just never, 
finished putting it all together. He still doesn't hit the ball in the air often enough. He still doesn't walk. He's still a very, very poor athlete. And so I think we're going to see a a 30 homer season from Eloy at some point, which we haven't seen since he was a rookie uh, back in 2019. I, I still think he's got that skill level and I think he can get there. It's just for him, there are, not just the injury concerns, but I, I think legitimate performance concerns um, that are that are hard to get around. But at, at this price, I think it's perfectly fine to take the flyer on him. It's something I've done a couple of times in drafts so far. Um, yeah, I think he's fine. Would you like to guess what his ADP was last year? I'm going to guess around 90 spots higher. 70.7. So yeah. more than a hundred spots higher. Yeah, and, and I don't, I don't think it's deserved. I, we didn't have performance concerns about Eloy Jimenez until last year because he stayed healthy for 120 games, the most since his rookie season when he homered 31 times and he hit just 18 home runs. I mean, he mm-hmm. hit 16 home runs in 84 games in 2022 uh, while batting 295. He's a career 275 hitter and has had three years with a batting average of 295 or better. So I, I think there is some batting average potential that may be slept on here, even if we question if he'll elevate the ball enough to live up to his power potential. But I will point out, having been reading through all the spring training news from all the beat writers, elevating the ball, getting the ball in the air more, was a point of emphasis for Eloy Jimenez this offseason. He is reported to have worked hard at it. I wish there was more detail than that in this report, exactly what that entailed, but it's nice to know that he knows that's what he needs to do. And and look, this is something I remember Christian Yelich talking about um, way back when he finally started hitting for power. And it was the, you know, I, I remember somebody had like, somebody got into an argument with him on Twitter and they were basically arguing that there's no way you can hit the ball in the air more unless you change your swing. And he was like, well, I didn't change my swing at all. It, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset thing. It's a choosing your pitch selection thing. It's meeting the ball at a different point in your swing thing. So it's not necessarily that you have to revamp your swing to hit for more power. Yandy Diaz, by all accounts, didn't change his swing last year. It was more about hitting the ball at a different point so that you can elevate it. And so... You know, that, that's one of those things where I, I agree the fact that he's aware of it. This, this isn't an Eric Hosmer situation, right? Remember Eric Hosmer, it was kind of a, well, I got a $100 million contract doing this. Why am I going to change things? It was that kind of mindset, um, at least for a long time. This, the, the fact that Elo is aware of it, I think is a good thing. Let's talk about J.D. Martinez. The ADP is 238.8. That is the 20th round of a 12-team league. He turns 37 in August, remains a free agent. So hopefully we'll find out soon where he winds up. Big bounce-back season last year with the Dodgers. Hit 271 with 33 homers, 103 RBI, in 113 games, nearly an RBI per game last year. His 893 OPS, the highest since 2019. 301 ISO, his highest since 2017. Crushed the ball last year. All the StatCast metrics supported what J.D. Martinez did. Scott, we just kind of sit and wait and try and figure out where he's going to be playing. Yes, we do. Now, I think no matter where he ends up playing, because we know it won't be the Dodgers again, it's going to be worse. 
I, I think batting where he did in the Dodgers lineup, Dodger Stadium is a pretty good home run park. Doesn't have that reputation, but it is. Uh, J.D. Martinez was helped by all of that, I think. And for as good as his numbers were, I, I just need to point this out. He was in a, only 113 games, his 162-game pace last year. J.D. Martinez, 40 seven home runs and 148 RBI. But again, that's not going to happen because he's now going to be with the Dodgers. And he'll be getting off to a late start. And, you know, it's it, 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 it seems like there would be a lot of reasons for concern here, except he's already going so late. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is of Marcelo Zuna, Eloy Jimenez, and J.D. Martinez, the one who I'm least confident can repeat is J.D. Martinez. Or, or the one I'm least confident, I guess, will be somebody you keep in your utility spot all year is J.D. Martinez, which is why I'm happy to accept the discount of Ozuna or Jimenez if it comes. But if for some reason you miss out on that, you're paying attention to other positions, somebody else reaches for one of those guys before you're expecting, it's nice to know J.D. Martinez is there too for even cheaper. Let's talk about Byron Buxton. And you know Chris will get the first word. 254.8 is the ADP. Like Eloy, injuries remain a massive hurdle for Byron Buxton. Has not played 100 games since 2017 and has done that just once in his career. Last year hit 207 with 17 homers, 9 steals over 85 games. A 150 game pace, 30 homers, 15 steals. Not that anybody thinks that Byron Buxton is going to play 150 games. But underwent an arthroscopic procedure on his right knee in October. Says he's 100% healthy, expects to have a normal uh, build-up build during spring training, projected to play center field, so again, will gain that outfield eligibility. Told reporters last week, still thinks he could steal 30 bases, 94th percentile sprint speed last year. We'll see what he could do. Chris, your thoughts here. Uh, Byron Buxton going even a few picks after, more than a few, like almost 20 picks after J.D. Martinez. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the where Eloy Jimenez was being drafted last year. Well, Byron Buxton was a top 100 pick this time last year and his in, in NFBC leagues, at least his ADP has dropped, I don't know, 160 spots since then. So yeah, I, I there, there's no downside here. Like, Oh, Byron Buxton can't stay healthy. Oh, he's made a glove. Who cares? It's your 20th round pick. And for it's a an guy outfielder. who, it's an outfielder by week two or three. Yeah. And for a guy who, from 2019 to 2022, which is, he broke out in 2019. That was basically when he figured it out. His He played, he averaged 70 games in those four seasons. And that's including 2020, but even, he had 18 home runs and eight steals. If that's all you get from Byron Buxton is 18 home runs and eight steals in 70 games, good pick at 250th overall. Like, I, I, I just... I, there, there's absolutely no downside to taking him. I, I know that everybody's going to do the thing because it's Byron Buxton and whatever. He, he's probably the, the, the fact that this time last year, they were saying there's no way he's going to play the outfield. He is our DH. He is just his knee is not capable of playing the outfield. And this year, he is their everyday center fielder. I, I think that tells you that he's in a much better spot than he was last year. That doesn't mean he's going to stay healthy. I think it's much more likely that he doesn't than that he does. Mm -hmm. 
I expect Byron Buxton to hit at a 30 plus homer pace, probably closer to 40 homers given his track record. I seeing a lot of the comments and I've seen them on Twitter too, about how people just don't care. They, they just, they don't want anything to do with Byron, Buxton. that's fine. But the cost is so low here. And, and this is a case where even if you drafted Otani or Ozuna mm-hmm. or Aloy Jimenez or JD Martinez, you can still justify taking Byron Buxton. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's, he's going to be outfield. In the long run, you're going to be playing him in the outfield if you're playing him at all. And uh, I haven't had occasion to draft him yet because most of the mocks we do don't have a bench. But once we start getting into these real drafts, TGFBI is beginning here on Monday. You know, I, 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 I might have an asterisk by Uh-oh. Buxton's name. Uh-oh. It's just, it, yeah, I... I <laughs> It's an all upside, no downside pick. I get being out on him at a, at a top 100 price. That makes perfect sense. You are vindicated. Saying you won't draft Byron Buxton at 250 is just, it's just being stubborn for no reason. He's going after Taj Bradley. Ah, what did Taj Bradley do to you? Come on, Scott. I mean, he's going after like <laughs> Taylor Ward. Who, ah, come on, I Taylor think Ward's great. A, I think he can be a good player, but like there's a huge question mark there. He's right. going behind Dalton Varsho. Ah, who Dalton Varsho working on out, things in the offseason. Come on. Come on. Dalton Varsho working on I, things. I'm sorry, but it's <laughs> he's going behind Shay Langoliers. Yeah, like it just just draft Byron Buxton. It's fine, guys. All right. <laughs> Again, the ADP uh, around the 250s there with Byron Buxton. Quickly mention a few late round options who are util only, all going outside the top 300. Joey Manessis with the Nationals, Andrew McCutcheon back with the Pirates, Mark Vientos. With the Mets, any quick thoughts on any of those names? Manessis, McCutcheon, Vientos. Uh, Vientos might be their primary DH, and there's power there. He's, I think he's going to strike out so much that yeah. the home runs won't be worth it, but you know, he's still young enough that we don't really know who Mark Vientos is going to become. Manessis was kind of useful in Roto League last year because he drove in so many runs, but that was kind of all he did. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think you can expect him to drive in 89 runs again in a bad lineup as a pretty mediocre hitter. So that's probably not a player that I'm going to be all that excited about. There was a report that Manessis played through a knee injury last year. So take that for what it's worth. He obviously was awesome in the small sample in 2022. He's not really a target of mine either, but a, a name to know for deeper leagues, probably like NL only stuff like that. Uh, again, there, Joey Manessis. Let's quickly run through some news and notes. Wait, and, and wait, some... wait, there's one. Wait, there's one we haven't mentioned yet. Who is you want to talk about Heston Kierstad? Well, I wasn't. You, should, you can mention him. Yeah, I mean, look, right. he is. Heston big... Kierstad also. He's, he's got to win a job for the Orioles, right. and, and I think Ryan O'Hearn is going to get first dibs over him as uh, a lefty corner bat, but. But Heston Kierstad has a lot of upside, and he'll be contributing at some point this year for the Orioles. I hope you're right, Scott, because I have him in the Scott White Dynasty League, so I'm rooting hard here for Heston Kierstad. Some quickly run through the news and notes and spring training standouts. I I don't want to spend too much time because I do want to do our position previews recap, but did get some stuff this weekend. Update on Kodai Senga. He received a PRP injection in his shoulder Sunday and will be shut down from throwing for the next three weeks. And we talked last week about dropping him down to around SP40. Chris, you weren't on Friday's podcast. After hearing something like this, I know you dropped him down to SP42. Do you plan to drop Kodai Senga even further now? 
Uh, I thought I draft dropped him. Yeah, okay, it was forty two. Um, I'm not moved to move him further. I, this I, I is, thought this was encouraging, actually. This is what I expected. Like I, I, I thought he just wasn't going to throw for a while. That that's the well, so the, I, the fact that he's he's getting a cortisone shot now says they're hopeful. They're hopeful that will help get to him to a point where he can throw within three weeks. Mm-hmm. And they floated the timetable late April, early May. When remember when we were talking about Senga right after this injury, um, yeah, there was that video from Dr. Jesse Morris on Twitter that was saying he wouldn't, he's not sure he'd recommend Senga throw again, much less be ready to pitch in the majors again until June. And now we're looking at talking late April, early May for Senga is, 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 the Mets timetable. It depends how he feels after the three weeks, but I don't know that that seemed like that seemed more like a positive development than a negative development to me. The fact he got a cortisone shot. I saw a report or a PC. It wasn't a cortisone shot. I'm sorry. PRP. 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 Rich plasma. I saw a report from Andy Martino of SNY that said the the most optimistic scenario he could see is late May for a return for Kodai Senga, but that's again, that's not what I was seeing from other beat writers. A they lot of a lot of it is speculation at this point. Yeah. If the the goal was to pitch by early April before the injury, he can't start throwing in a best case scenario for three more weeks. I mean that puts you in late April, just there. Mm-hmm. So I think late April could be possible if it's a best case scenario. I don't think you should approach anything sure. Sure. as if the best case scenario is the likeliest scenario. I, I guess I'm approaching it. Kodai Senga. I'm now hopeful. I'm hopeful, not just hoping I'm hopeful that he'll miss a quarter of the season when before I was concerned, he'd miss half the season. Mm-hmm. So you guys are not lowering him any further. It's still around SP 40, right? I, I was, I was thinking about lowering him and now I'm less likely to lower him. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm keeping him where he is for now. And in case you guys wanted to hear about Cody Bellinger, I should have mentioned this. We did an emergency podcast earlier. You can catch that in your your podcast feeds or watch it on YouTube. Uh, Chris and I broke down Cody Bellinger returning to the Chicago Cubs. Evan Carter was hit by a pitch on his left forearm on Sunday, but x-rays came back negative. Thankfully, hopefully he's all right. New Astros manager Joe Espada revealed Sunday that ideally, one to four in his lineup will be Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez, Alex Bregman, and Kyle Tucker. So, Perhaps Alvarez's runs Tucker. go up, but his RBI go down a bit. I, I don't know. It's still an awesome top half of the lineup, so it should work out for all this, four of them, this, I think. Tucker's, Tucker's been freed from the bottom third of the lineup. I guess he batted fifth a lot last year, too, but fourth. Let's go. It's like a dream come true for this guy. It's about time. Manny Machado made his spring debut as the Padres DH on Saturday. It was his first live game action since offseason elbow surgery, so good news there. Gunnar Henderson, who's been slowed by an oblique injury, could make his Grapefruit League debut by the end of this week. Craig Kimbrell cut his live batting practice short on Saturday due to quad soreness. It doesn't sound serious, but something to monitor. Teoscar Hernandez admitted to having difficulty picking up the ball while playing at T-Mobile Park last season, and the splits support that. Last year, hit 217 with a 643 OPS at home, 295 with an 830 OPS on the road. Now he gets Dodger Stadium, which is the second best ballpark for right-handed power, according to StatCast. 
Good this news. year's J.D. Martinez, Teoscar Hernandez. Ooh, spicy. Jonathan India recently suffered a setback with a plantar fasciitis in his left foot and won't play in Cactus League games until March 7th or 8th. Guardians first base prospect Kyle Manzardo seems likely to begin the season at Triple A. That's annoying. <sighs> For a team that could always use offensive help, it, it's a bit surprising. Who so it sounds like it's kind of. So it sounds like it's kind of coming down to, weirdly because they play different positions. It's like him or Estevan Florial, um, who is likely to play the outfield for the Guardians, but. It sounds like that's kind of the the fallout from that because I think they're, he's out of options and Manzardo so has Ramon options. Loriano would be their DH in that case. I, uh, like they have three good defensive outfielders already. Yeah, I, I, I look, guess it'd be a road. I'm not I, making I, the, I'm not making the decision. No, I hear you. It's surprising to me because on Friday I came out with my top thirty position battles to watch in spring training, and I I presumed Kyle Manzardo would be on there, mm-hmm. but I just couldn't find anybody to that he could possibly be competing with. It, it seemed yeah. like by default he would win the job. So maybe he still will, but then I'm surprised to hear it's... They picked up da- sure. they picked up Davison De Los Santos in the Rule 5 draft, so he does have to stay on the roster. I don't know if they plan to play him or not, but it just kind of crowds things a little bit more there for them. Look, it's not up to me. If it were, Miles Straw would be on the... He, he wouldn't be coming <laughs> back to Cleveland. Uh, great camp like that that just i i don't i get it he's a decent defender but cal manzardo is much more likely to make an impact for that team than than miles straw and it's very frustrating that it it sounds like manzardo doesn't really have an inside track right now maybe they'll sign jd martinez (gasps) no block manzardo never mind (laughs) the the guardian at least that would make sense yeah. Guardians don't spend money. Come on, guys. Uh, Luis Renhevo is expected to miss time me. due to left hamstring tightness. Emmett Sheehan hasn't been throwing the past few days due to general body soreness. Ronaldo Lopez might be the early favorite to open the season as the Braves' fifth starter. And Aaron Ashby told reporters that he's healthy and will be competing for a spot in the Brewers' rotation this spring. He underwent shoulder surgery last April before that was considered a top pitching prospect. So, name that you should monitor in deeper leagues. Again, there, Aaron Ashby. Okay, so there was a lot that happened this weekend in spring training. I know that you guys are working on articles. Scott, specifically, you're you're doing like a spring training roundup, right, this weekend? Yep. Okay, yep. so... It'll be out by the time you're listening to this, in all likelihood. People will be able to read more about this on the site. I'm going to quickly just read through everything that I have, and then you guys can react to maybe uh, one or two of the things that stand out most to you. So, Cole Reagans. <laughs> Cole Reagans, that guy. Oh, yeah, he had five strikeouts over two shutout innings, and I saw Lance Brasdowski said one of Reagan's fastballs hit 101 miles per hour with 20 inches of induced vertical break. I can't tell you much about IVB, but that sounds good. Lucas Gilito threw two no-hit innings and debuted a new slider grip. Quote, about a week ago, I started working on that, and I was pleased with how it was coming out. Still continuing to hone that in, but throwing the slider in the mid to high 80s, I think, is a better move for me. Okay. Orioles starting pitcher Cole Irvin's velocity was up across the board. Fastball up nearly two miles per hour. His cutter was up 2.5 miles per hour. Carlos Rodon did pick up five strikeouts in two and a third innings of work, but his velocity was down. Not 
tremendously, but something worth monitoring. Fastball down 1.7 miles per hour. The slider down 1.2 miles per hour. Mackenzie Gore struck out four over two innings of work. He threw five changeups, which accounted for 19% of his pitches. Last year, he only threw his changeup 3% of the time. Okay. Hunter Green struck out four, debuted his new splitter and curveball on the splitter. Sunday, he said, quote, the split was fantastic today. It was unbelievable. So it's just continuing to work on it and get it ready for opening day and the rest of the season. Ace pitching prospect Joe Boyle threw two shutout innings with three strikeouts, threw his fastball between 99 and 101 miles per hour, introduced a new sweeper. He has nasty stuff, but his command was Awful, awful in the minors. Michael Garcia led off for the Royals on Saturday. That was with Bobby Witt, Salvador Perez, and MJ Melendez in the lineup. Padres prospect Jackson Merrill led off Sunday, went two for two with a double, a walk, a run, and two RBI. Scott, I know you mentioned the name with Merrill last week, and I know it's very early in camp, but yeah, I'm starting to buy in on on that possibility as well. Um, They have so many openings. Yeah, I'm starting to think Jackson Merrill is much more likely than 50-50 to make the opening day roster at this point. Yeah, yeah, I had him in, in the top 30 position battles. I have him as as one of the likely. I mean, he's not even battling anyone. <laughs> like they, they just don't have outfielders on their roster. Jerks and Profar, Chris. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's so young and so inexperienced. It might go like J.D. Abr- or C.J. Abrams' rookie year with the Padres before he yeah. got traded to the Nationals, but... I mean, late round flyer. I'm, I'm happy. I'd, I'd be fine to do that for Jackson Merrill. And not Adding that, to my sleepers 2.0. Not that I want to downplay Abrams' status as a prospect because he was a huge top end prospect. But like Jackson Merrill is a more polished hitter at this point than when CJ Abrams was getting these opportunities. I was also so. in watching that game on Friday. I think was his debut. I'm surprised at how big he is. He's big. Like he's like six three, two hundred pounds. He's I big. saw him and I was like, is that Eric Cosmer? <laughs> like that's that's dude. what it looked like in that uniform. Like that that was surprising. And and the hit tool is supposed to be his strongest skill, but he's developing power. He started hitting the ball in the air more once he got to Double A last year. I think there's a lot to like about Jackson Merrill. Speaking of big prospects, uh, worth mentioning the Nationals' top prospect James Wood crushed two homers this weekend, and Yankees' top prospect Spencer Jones, six foot seven, all all six foot seven of him went three for three Saturday with a four hundred seventy foot home run. And now just, he's five for five. Oh yeah, there you go. Um, it, it was uh, it was interesting seeing Aaron Jones next to Spencer Jones or Aaron Judge next to Spencer Jones because it was like. Oh, Aaron Judge looks like a normal guy. <laughs> can't, can't say that often. Um, yeah, I just throw a lot at you guys, but if there's like yeah. one or two things you want to quickly react to, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I want to highlight Joe Boyle because I'm I'm really becoming a Joe Boyle believer. You mentioned his walk rate was absurd in the minors. So is the strikeout rate. But the walk rate prevented him from getting much prospect hype when he was still in the Reds organization. Came over to the A's, didn't spend much time in the minors, came up for three starts at the end of last year through 66% of his pitches for strikes. Three-start sample, okay, maybe maybe it was just a, a fluke. Um, but then he has this first start where he looks good. He's, he's got a sweeper added to his arsenal too. And um, he threw, let's see, did I end up deleting that number? He had a good strike percentage in this start too so it, it may just be that he's overcome it and and if he's overcome if, if he's if he's not if, if the walks aren't going to be a huge liability for joe boyle anymore you're talking an 80 grade fastball and an 80 grade slider and you watch him pitch and i mean he looks he looks overpowering so um my sleepers 2.0 isn't going to come out for a couple more w- weeks but i 
expect Joe Boyle to be in it unless things unravel between now and then. He's another massive human being too, stands six foot seven. So uh, yeah, it throws extremely hard. Let, let's see what else he does this uh, this spring training. But obviously the A's need help in their rotation and Joe Boyle could potentially provide that. I want to highlight two things. One, Hunter Green, I, I love hearing that the splitter worked well today. Apparently the Reds play two games with the StatCast data on during this <laughs> spring. So maybe we'll get lucky in two of their 30 games will happen to be Hunter Green starts and we'll, we'll get some data on it. But we're going to be kind of flying blind on on that one, which is really Use frustrating. Use your eyes, Chris. The eye is, test. Well, I... No, they also have the fewest televised spring oh, training games. Can't even use your eye. I don't know what's going like. Why well, out to Arizona? Hang out with the Welsh. Listen to it on the radio, Chris. Yeah, it's like nineteen ninety seven with Chris. the Reds. I don't know what's going on, but it's very frustrating because I would love to have mid. watched that and it wasn't on. So uh, we'll go on scouting reports, I guess. But yeah, that's frustrating. The other thing, and this applies less to our podcast because we are already way higher on the consensus on Cole Reagan's, but. There's a lot of like a lot of excitement based on this start. And I get it and I don't get it because we didn't learn anything new about Cole Reagans today. I guess I think I he think hit 101 and he didn't hit 101 last year, I think, right? Or did he get up to one? But like I think he did once or twice. I, I think yeah. it was it's important that he still has the velocity from right. last year. It's it's a confirmation that he sure. didn't shrivel up in the offseason. Which wasn't, but wasn't at least, a given. I mean, he had such a limited track record. But at least for us, I don't think any of us expected that. So I'm mm. I'm not moving Cole Reagans up based on this. I, I don't think people should. And then uh, Mackenzie Gore threw five changeups in this start, was also doing a good job of spotting his fastball higher in the zone. That's always been an issue for him. He throws a, a high spin four seamer, but throws it low in the zone so it doesn't play up. And the five change-ups, I think he only had four starts last year with at least five change-ups. So that's an interesting one. He's actually been a little better against righties and lefties in his career, but he needs to get better against both to become a, an impact player. So still always like to see development. I, I will just reiterate, underscore Cole Irvin, the fact that all yes. four of his pitches were up 1.3 miles per hour or more. And um, he worked at tread athletics this off season, another facility kind of like driveline. I think that, that was where Reagan's worked, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. There you go. He, he looks like a power pitcher in that start against the pirates. He did not look like the Cole Irvin. I remember, and there's a spot open for him. So I'm, I'm keeping my eye on him. Clearly I, I, you didn't get to that part of your spring research before the draft today. Cause I got Cole Irvin for $1 and the Scott White I, I did not. Steal of the draft. I tried to get Joe Boyle. I got outbid on him. Wait, I mean, you said Jamison Tyone was the steal of the draft, Chris. Which one is it? Oh, was that like twelve dollars? I mean, everyone Chris took was the steal of the draft. <laughs> I think even Byron Buxton for like a million dollars. Twenty-two dollars steal of the All draft. Right. All right, let's take our final break. I don't know what we're gonna do when we get back, but we'll do something. We'll be right back.
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back in position previews recap. We spent like 90 minutes on each position, some positions, even more outfield starting pitcher getting multiple episodes. So what we'll do with this, we have like 10, 15 minutes left. Very brief thought on strategy and then give me your favorite to draft. Let's start with catcher and Scott, why don't you start us off here? Quick thought on the position this year and your favorite to draft a catcher. Catcher is deeper than I can ever remember it, and there's not... I mean, Adley Rushman's the clear number one, but it's he doesn't stand out in so much from the pack that he's worth paying a premium for. Uh, in one catcher leagues, I'm taking my catcher with my last pick or two because there's more than enough to go around. And uh, there's like 16 that I like, 17. In two catcher leagues, I'm still inclined to wait because in the end, that like even as good as it is, they're just not as impactful relative... Catcher still isn't as impactful relative to other positions. So um, if I get a guy at a discount, great, but I'm not reaching for anybody. Did you give us uh, one of your favorites to draft? Oh, my favorite to draft? Uh, let's say Bo Naylor, since I'm waiting so late. Okay. Chris, favorite to draft a catcher? Francisco Alvarez, but I love Bo Naylor as well. All right. Favorite to draft for me, going to be Wilson Contreras, the ADP around 150, the ninth catcher off the board. I typically like to get one of those top 10 to 12 um in a two-catcher league, and then maybe wait on one a little bit later on as well. Let's move over to first base, and Chris, give us a quick thought, maybe some strategy, and your favorite to draft. Uh, all right. First base is still where the sluggers live. It's still a deep position to find power. There is not a lot of st- stolen base potential there. I don't know. It's... I'm struck. I'm struggling with with the big picture preview with the big picture for first base because I kind of feel like it's just what it always is. It's neither deep nor shallow. It's where you get your power from. I don't know. I think it's I think it's pretty deep actually. It's really strong top five. There's lots of upside. There's viable corner infielders later on in draft. I, I think it's a really good position. And in the middle, it's very deep. Yeah, I'd yep. say that. Who are your favorites to draft at first base? Uh, Tristan Casas and Josh Naylor. Scott? Casas and Vinny P, but I'm probably going to have a lot of Matt Olson too because I seem to like him at the one-two turn more than most people do. Vinny P, baby! And for me, I also like to grab one of those uh, early round first baseman, Bryce Harper, the hitter I love this year. And uh, if I miss out on him, Tristan Casas. I guess we're all fighting for Tristan Casas this year. Second base, Scott, you're back up. Little thought on the position, some strategy, favorite to draft. So second base, I like to get one of the elites. Uh, bets, of course, but you're probably playing them in the outfield. So Altuve, Albies, and Simeon, those are the ones I'm talking about because there's a big drop-off between them in the next class. I think Nico Horner and Matt McClain are being overdrafted. Um, and so a- a- after you wait a while at second base, what makes the position interesting is it has a lot of different variety of hitters to choose from. You can get a lot of speed there from like Hassan Kim and Bryson Stott and Andres Jimenez. You can get power from Glaber Torres or Cattell Marte. 
uh, you can get the best batting average specialist specialist in, in Luis Arise. So I think specifically in categories leagues and roto leagues, second base is good if you don't get one of the elites for just waiting around to figure out what you need and then using second base to to meet that need. Chris, a favorite to draft at second base? Favorite to draft at second base. I'm completely blanking. I'm so sorry. This is. I think you is, said Glaber Torres on the on the position preview. Uh, yeah, Glaber Torres, Cattell Marte would probably be my two. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I don't want to say this for every position. I said it for first base. Obviously, I like Bryce Harper there. I would love to get one of the top four in you know the second or third round. But if I don't, I think uh, Glaber Torres in the middle rounds is someone I will target quite a bit. Third. Uh, I didn't. Give, I didn't give one. Oh, I thought you said the top elite names. But go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, I do like to draft Altuve, but. I, don't, I actually don't remember what I said in the full-length one. Uh, Zach Geloff, maybe. I, I like the power speed upside, and he tends to go late among that very deep middle tier. Yeah, you know, I have this, the rundown for the second base preview, and I wrote down favorites to draft for all of us, except for you, Scott. So I, yeah, I, don't, I didn't give it. I don't remember who you said there. Let's move over to third base. Chris, you're back up. Some thoughts on the position. Uh, obviously, very different than where we were at a year ago, uh, but what do you think and favorites to draft? Yeah, I think third base is a good example of even at the population level level, not overreacting to last year because this time a year ago, we were convinced that third base was the worst position in fantasy besides catcher. And now we think it's pretty deep. There was definitely a nice bounce back, but there is plenty of like you got Royce Lewis and, and Jake Berger and a couple other guys that like if they don't repeat what they did last year, third base could look pretty bad. So I, I think it's a good position. I think I'm probably less convinced that it's a really, really good position, but there's both a lot of high-end star power. I mean, you got, what, four guys going in the top 35 picks between Jose Ramirez, Austin Riley, Rafael Devers. You've still got Alex Bregman, Manny Machado, Nolan Arnato, especially bounce backs for those two. But I don't necessarily want to wait too long. At third base, you know, I, I think it's deep, but it's not so deep that I'm comfortable with like Spencer Steer as my starter, even though he is a top 12 guy for us. Who? I think we're I think we're the most divided on this one, because I do think maybe Chris was just talking to me. I don't know. I, I do think third base is the deepest position and the one I'm most likely to wait on. I'm comfortable with players beyond Spencer Steer, uh, like Jake Berger. Is probably my favorite. Yes, I, and Josh I, Young yeah. tends to go later than I thought he would, too, because I'm not even his biggest fan, but I'll take that bat in the Rangers lineup, sure. Is Jake Berger your favorite to draft, Scott? Yes. Chris? I think on the podcast you said it was Manny Machado. I, I think probably Royce Lewis. Um, just really like betting on the, the breakout there. Okay. I do like the value of Manny Machado relative to the other elites, but I rarely end up taking him because my priorities at that point in the draft are elsewhere. Yep. And I agree completely on uh, Jake Berger, big fan of his in the middle rounds this year. Shortstop. We are up to Scott, your thoughts at the position and a favorite to draft. So I don't think Chris and I are in total agreement on this position either. Cause I, I think it's beginning to weaken. I think it's uh, it, it's, it was such a deep position for so long and it still has, it still has, comparable star power to the other infield positions but i i find if you wait this is of all the infield positions if you wait at shortstop that's where you're most likely to get burned 
And, um, you know, by the time Dansby Swanson goes off the board, there are a lot of question marks after that. And that's only about halfway through the draft. Uh, I like Jackson holiday and he goes after Dansby Swanson. So that's good, but you know, obviously he hasn't won a job yet. And so you're taking a bit of a risk there. I think the the way I would put it, and you you and I definitely disagree on this. I, I think the way I would put it is shortstop is deep and then it's not at all. It's got 12 players in the top 85 and ADP. But if you miss out on the high end of the position, and I like I like Xander Bogarts more than than I think you two do, but if you miss out on the top end of the position and you get to like the 10th round and yeah, you might draft Anthony Volpe as your starting shortstop. Right. That's what I'm talking That's about. That's what yeah. feels really bad. I like Jake Berger at third base a lot more than I like Anthony Volpe at yeah. shortstop, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for me, did you guys say, Scott, you like Jackson Holiday? Chris' favorite to draft? Is it Bogarts? Uh, yeah, I think among the later, outside of the top 100, it's Bogarts. Otherwise, it's probably Francisco Lindor if I'm going early. Yeah, I think we all yeah, said I, we I like Lindor's my favorite. We all I like Lindor, getting him at yeah. the two three turn. Yeah. yeah, we all like Lindor. Uh, I, I do like Trevor Story quite a bit. I think he's going to go twenty twenty this year. Where's the batting average going to be? That that's the question. But you know, if he can hit two forty, that's eh, a little optimistic. But uh, I do think the power and speed will be there. Outfield: nine of the top sixteen players in ADP are outfielders, but there are big drops in talent and track record. The middle part of this position is. Kind of a disaster. Uh, Chris, how do you feel about outfield and a few of your favorites to draft? Yeah, to add some color to that, uh, nine of the top 16, you said, are, are outfielders? Correct. At least in NFBC drafts, when I wrote this, which was about two weeks ago, 13 picks, 13 outfielders between the 15th and 100th overall picks in ADP. So if you miss out on that first round group wow. at outfield, things get really, really gross. I think it's, Outside of catcher, by far the weakest position. There's no shortage of sleepers you can look to in the later rounds, and you know we can go through some of them. But in terms Not of guys, great. in terms of guys that you feel good about drafting, I, I think outfield relative to the number of spots you have, especially in a five outfield league, is by far the worst position outside of catcher. By far, it's the most stressful position. I mean, out. The two positions that are going to shape your draft this year are starting pitcher, because one is always starting pitcher, <laughs> and outfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, any favorites to draft if you guys have maybe one early name, one late name you like to target? Is it cheating to say Fernando Tatis? Cheater. Because if I pick fifth or later, I'm just drafting Fernando Tatis in every league. Um, it, it, is, it is a high priority for me to get an outfielder in round one, those nine before the big drop-off. But since that feels cheap, I'm going to say Josh... Lowe, Josh Lowe is my early pick, 20 homer, 30 steal guy last year, and I think could get even more playing time. And later, um, well, why don't Chris give his early pick, and I'll tell you my later pick after that. Uh, I, I guess I'll say Kyle Schwarber as my early pick. Okay. And then my later pick, I have Riley Green about 50 spots ahead of his ADP, so I, I really like Riley Green. I believe he's going to make his spring debut Monday or Tuesday mm-hmm. of this week. So very excited to see what he looks like. Apparently he lost like 10 pounds. So looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, that's the one. 
I don't like to draft any later <laughs> outfielders. Scott has his face on where like he clicked on the wrong tab and something gross popped up. Like <laughs> he does not this, like what this he sees. Is gross. I, I just take the best of a lot of bad options, I think. Um let's say uh, let's say Carrie Carpenter. Okay. Uh, for me, I like Brian Reynolds in the early to mid rounds and then all the uh, Red Sox outfielders later on. Jaron Duran, who looks like he's going to lead off. He's modest power, lots of speed. And I do like Tyler O'Neill quite a bit. Entering a contract year, seems like Fenway is a, a great match for mm-hmm. Tyler O'Neill this year. Starting pitcher. Oh, gosh. All right. We'll try our best to make this one quick. Uh, <laughs> solid for the top 30 to 35 pitchers. And then you enter the glob. Scott, your thoughts at starting pitcher? Yep, yep. I'm sticking to globology here this year. A uh, 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 um, philosophy I laid out toward the end of last season, and I do think it's about 30 to 35 pitchers who transcend the glob. I'm trying to get four of those if I can. In deeper leagues, it might be more like three. Uh, and then once you get into the glob, which spans about 60 names. I'm pretty much just prioritizing strikeout upside. So I'm going for guys like, uh, I would say Chris Sale, but I think I've, I think I've moved him out of the glob at this point because that was my only chance to get him. But I'm prioritizing, talking too fast. I'm prioritizing names like Kyle Harrison and uh, Nick Pavetta. Uh, who else? Guys who can give me a lot. Gavin Williams, I think, has a lot of strikeout upside. Christian Javier, bounce back. See, that, that's who I'm prioritizing within the glob, and I'm trying to avoid the guys who are going to remain forever in the glob, which would be somebody like Eduardo Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one early round and a few late round ones. Logan Webb in the third or fourth, sometimes the fifth round. I, it just feels like a really good building block if you wait to get your SP1 or even as an SP2. Later on, guys like Shota Imanaga, Brian Wu, Aaron Savali, those are names that I've gravitated towards. Chris, maybe uh, one early and, and a few late starting pitchers you like to target. Uh, love Pablo Lopez early. Love, let's, I mean, Yuri Perez inside the top 100 also early. Love him. Uh, Chris Paddock late. Nobody oh. said Cole Reagans. I want to say Cole Reagans. Oh, yeah, of course. And Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Let's go. Don't, those are two guys I like drafting early. Relief pitcher will wrap here. Surprisingly, the most stable it's been in years. Hopefully that lasts. Chris, bring us home. How about a... Give me one closer you like to draft and maybe one Sparp. Technically, already mentioned one with Paddock. Yeah, this is a good year for Sparps. Chris Paddock, I think Frankie Montas, Ryan Pepio, Nick Pavetta is a Sparp, Michael King. Um most closers with most players with at least 30 saves since 2016. I think it was also the most with 20 saves since uh, 2016, if I'm correct. So, yeah, that was a that was a big change from last se- or from the previous years. Favorite to draft, Cole Reagans is also a spark that's worth mentioning, and favorite to draft is probably Paul Seawald. All right, and Scott, a closer you like to draft. I mean, Sparps, <laughs> Chris named them all, but I'm sure you love Reagans and, and Nick Pavetta. Yeah, those are the two that I love the most. I like Pepio. I have him as a sleeper this year. Uh, my favorite closer to draft actually is also Paul Seawald because he tends to go last from what I see as a very large second tier after the top tier of Devin Williams, Josh Hader, and Edwin Diaz. Um, but yeah, I mean, o- overall, I would just say 
there are so many more safe sources I feel confident in going into this season compared to the past couple seasons that I'm trying not to spend much on relief pitcher after the game seem to be trending away from that the past couple years. All right. And then for me, just some quick favorites to draft at relief pitcher, Rysel Iglesias. I just love the strikeout upside and the potential pitching for that Braves team, obviously going to win what is likely to be a hundred plus games again this year. And uh, my favorite spark, just based on where he goes in drafts, I have him as a breakout, Michael King. We're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to fantasy baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thank you.